Hello everyone and welcome to this edition of Alliance Live. I'm Hannah Tweed, Senior Policy Officer at the Alliance and in this episode I'm very grateful to be joined by Katie Woods, Senior Legal Officer at Maternity Action. Um, Katie is going to tell us more about the organisation's work on and around maternal and parental rights during COVID-19 and the impact of current policies on people and particularly women. So hello Katie and thanks for taking the time to speak to me today. Um, hello, good afternoon. <laughs> Uh, I wonder if you could start off by telling us a bit more about Maternity Action, um, who you are and the kind of work you do. Yes, so Maternity Action is a nationwide charity. Uh, we have a number of advice services uh, covering maternity and parental rights at work and benefits and also a separate advice service that covers access to um, NHS maternity care and charging for NHS maternity care, which affects some women uh, and so we do a lot of policy and cam campaigning work around all of those issues. Great um, and as we talk to each other there are different lockdown rules in place at the moment um, around both Scotland, England, the various devolved nations um, with lots of people working from home and we're using the new remote working approach to carry out this interview in fact via the joys of Zoom. Um, so can you speak to a bit about how you and your team at Maternity Action have been faring, finding those working practices different? Yeah, well, I think like everyone, it's been a steep learning curve and we've become seasoned Zoom users as well. Uh, actually, I think we've fared fairly well on, on that front because uh, we are a small staff. Most of us have young children ourselves and we're very used to flexible working and balancing a degree of home working and working in the office. Uh, so it's been more of a shift, obviously, to work in solely from home at the moment. But we were very well set up for that. Um, we have online case management systems. We can divert our advice lines remotely to our advisors, who in fact are all over the country. Um, you know, we're, we're not solely London-based organisation by any means. Um, and and so, so that's worked quite seamlessly. Um, I mean, the work, um, the volume of calls has, has absolutely skyrocketed since the start of the pandemic, particularly around employment rights and benefits um, for those, you know, trying to access the, the new COVID-19 support schemes uh, facing health and safety issues at work. So we've been very, very busy uh, on that score. And also for NHS charging, you know, there are a number of people from overseas that have been stuck in the UK and through no fault of their own and now facing huge charges for the NHS maternity care. So, um, so yeah, a lot of demand for advice services because of that. Um, but, you know, the, the remote working has, has worked well. In fact, we were almost uh, office list for a while because, in fact, uh, throughout the pandemic, we were actually in the middle of an office move. <laughs> So that wasn't the best timing, but we've got there. Yeah, just to, just to add to the stress and the excitement. Um, <laughs> um, so maternity action, um, along with a range of other organisations, so agenda, in gender, the World Health Organisation, Gender Equality Budget Group, you know, you name it, they're there, um, have noted the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on women and parent guardians. Um, could you give us a brief overview of, in your experience, the kinds of issues in those areas and the sort of associated inequalities? 
Yes, so certainly a lot of those issues come in through to our advice line. So pregnant women have been uh, identified as one of the vulnerable groups um, and at risk of more severe illness from COVID-19. So because of that, it's led to huge difficulties enforcing health and safety rights at work. I mean, in fact, that's a long standing problem. It's something we've advised on, on our, our advice line uh, for many years, but uh, of course it becomes a particular issue when you're in the middle of a, uh, a global health uh, crisis. Um, so because of this, uh, many women have not had the health and safety protection they should have done. They've lost a huge amount of income and maternity pay. Um, many have been forced on to statutory sick pay uh, wrongly. They're not, they're not off sick, they're not suffering from COVID-19 symptoms, um, but they've not been given the health and safety protection and the income protection that they should have done. And many have been forced to start their maternity leave, you know, very early, almost up to three months before the birth as well, which is obviously a lot earlier than many would have chosen to start. And another big area is the huge number of parents who have finished you know, maternity adoption or shared parental leave with no childcare in place. Um, grandparents or family members can't take children and they may have um, older children off school or can't access nurseries for, for new babies. And so while childcare is the responsibility of both parents, it's, it's women who are overwhelmingly uh, delivering the bulk of childcare and who are more likely to have to stop work if there are problems arranging childcare. And both groups are being targeted in, in the wave of redundancies that we're already seeing on our advice lines. Uh, and we saw high levels of unfair and discriminatory redundancies after the 2008 financial crash. And many of the women calling us now are similarly being made redundant uh, unfairly. Uh, and this is this can you know be in situations uh, where their maternity cover is being kept on and, and and keeps his or her job, but the women the woman on maternity leave is losing her job. And and in addition, um, a really a key area has been the fact that the no recourse to public funds rules mean that many migrant women cannot access the social security system and are facing poverty and destitution. These women are, have the right to work, they're entitled to statutory maternity pay and maternity allowance, but this isn't well paid. It's a flat rate of £151 a week, or 90% of their average earnings if that's lower, and that's not sufficient to support uh, a, a new family. So I think those are the, you know, some of the really key issues we've been seeing. Yeah, and those are just the headline um impact yeah absolutely yeah. um and i know that you've been doing quite a lot of campaign work in some of those areas that we'll come to later in this interview because i think sort of drilling down in some of the detail of that will be um really interesting to hear more about um one of the key themes of the alliance's health and social care academy program has been the importance of emphasizing humanity and human rights in particular of people accessing um support and services whether that's sort of statutory rights as you're outlining um or other areas for many people uh, this has become more challenging during the pandemic kill surprise um but could you speak to a bit of the sorts of issues that um people who've been in touch with maternity action have faced in that area Maybe. Yes, so I'm preserving anonymity. I'm not asking for. Sure. Yeah. No. I mean, I think that, as I touched on, health and safety 
has been a, a, a key problem. Um, it's very difficult to enforce unless you go to an employment tribunal and you know, without uh, access to legal aid or resources to get legal advice. That's not really a remedy for many. Uh, and in any case, with the backlog in tribunal claims, you're not likely to, to get to tribunal for 18 months to two years at the moment. So the, the, the key problems coming through is the loss of pay, um, loss of maternity pay, and even for those that qualify for maternity pay, that's very low. And statutory sick pay is very low. It's 95 pounds a week. Um, many, um, New parents who have never claimed benefits before have, have now been forced to because of job losses or, or loss of income during the pandemic and they're shocked at the very low levels of support uh, and, and the delays in getting financial help through the social security system. Um, and, and also I think one of the other really key areas has been the difficulties in getting flexible work and you know this is extraordinary really when everyone's been forced to work from home which shows you know it can work if, if, if you have to uh, uh, you can make it work but we're finding even that that home working requests are, are being refused um, and you know requests for hours to fit around childcare and are still being refused um, and and so this is you know this this is a major problem for many parents trying to balance work and childcare. And it's a very weak right, and, and it's certainly one of those areas that, that really needs to, to be improved. More robust protections around it to ensure Definitely. parity. Um, yes. Yeah, um, and building on that, um, what does do these, what to you comes out of this in terms of attitudes and behaviours um, experienced by pregnant women and new parents or parents in general um, off that comment? Um, during this period and that sort of wider social social attitudes, if that's not too broad a phrase. Yeah, I, th I, th I think many have been shocked at the, the difficulty uh, in getting adequate support through the benefit system. Um, also, uh, as I've said, the, the difficulty in getting flexible work where uh, we had one particular caller, for instance, who had said that she could return to work after maternity leave, providing she could work more from home because she had a long commute. Uh, she'd already worked from home a couple of days a week. Um, yeah, and um, but for instance, uh, during during her maternity leave, uh, the whole workforce were, were sent to work from home and she was returning to work uh, with many of her colleagues all working from home, but that request was still refused. Um, and it's the, the, you know, these types of attitudes where you would think this should uh, encourage change and in, encourage more acceptance of more flexible working hours. Uh, but it doesn't always, and, and there's, a, there's still a very stubborn resistance to looking at how uh, we can better balance work and childcare uh, and avoid the need for, for long and expensive commutes, for instance. So there's still an awful lot of work to be done to overcome some of, some of that resistance, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, certainly, I'm... Um not inclined to shove myself on a pack train anytime soon if I don't have to, so I can thoroughly relate to that element. Yes. Um, uh, 
if I can turn now to one of the successful areas of campaign work you've been doing recently around um, people returning from maternity or parental leave being included in the furlough scheme, albeit something that I think was announced what, uh, late, late the night before the official um, deadline of 10th of June. Uh, yes. Can you tell us a bit more about that campaign, the work you were doing there and what that means for parents who are now returning from maternity leave or parental, um, but whose employers are sort of staggering their return to business for one reason or another? Yes, yeah, so we were very concerned that the furlough scheme was being closed without any provision being made for women returning from maternity leave or parents returning from other types of parental leave after that date. Um, and we didn't want to see women dismissed on their return to work or it forcing redundancies for that reason, um, purely because the, the furlough scheme wasn't available to them. So we wrote to the government about this and asked MPs we are in contact with to raise it in Parliament. And in the end, we threatened legal action. And this resulted in the government making a, a last minute announcement on the evening of the 9th of June, which, as you've said, was the day before uh, the closing date uh, for the scheme. And, and the scheme still isn't perfect. And we're, you know, we're very pleased that this major gap was filled, um, but there, there are still some ongoing concerns about the way that furlough pay is calculated, for instance, for those who have taken a period of maternity leave in the last year, because they can still find that they end up with their furlough pay being significantly reduced uh, because the fact that they were on maternity pay or even unpaid maternity leave or unpaid shared parental leave can lower the calculation of their average earnings. So they, they lose out enormously, and that seems very discriminatory to us. And so that's still an issue that we are looking at. And so that ongoing calculation, is that something that you're seeing any response, responsiveness from relevant government officials or? Not so far, no, no. Uh, the government, the, the guidance hasn't changed, in fact, since it, it was first uh, brought in around April time. Uh, to clarify um, that those returning from statutory leave, uh, if they have a fixed salary, they should have their furlough pay based on their normal salary. And the employer should ignore the fact that they've taken um, any statutory leave or pay within the last year. But for those with variable hours, it still says that the employer should work out their average earnings over the last tax year. And therefore, if, if those workers uh, took a period of uh, unpaid leave or of leave on maternity pay or maternity allowance, then their furlough pay is likely to be 90% of £151.20, um, rather than being based on you know, whatever their normal uh, variable hours might be based on their normal rate of pay. Uh, and so it's hugely dis discriminatory, hugely disadvantages them and leads to a, a massive loss of income uh, for those parents. And um, I, you know, I think it's something that we need to pursue because we're getting this coming up in a, a lot on our advice side. And it, it, there doesn't seem to be any reason why you should treat two groups of, of parents differently, except that it's going to have the biggest impact on those on the whole, on variable hours, you're more likely to be on some sort of, you know, insecure, precarious work. It's more likely to be those on zero hours contracts, um, insecure contracts, agency work, uh, who, who have the, 
generally the, the lower pay and the least rights at work. Yeah, so just compounding pre-existing inequality and making Definitely. it worse, if that's yes. not too much of a one-liner. Mm. Uh, um, <coughs> I know that you have a frequently asked question, so you've referred there to one of the more common um, things that is being raised um, as a sort of problem people are encountering and people seeking advice. Um, I know you've got that frequently asked question page, which is sort of being updating on a very regular up basis, according to your Twitter feed. Um, but uh, can you talk us through the sort of the key points, the highlights of your advice for people um, who may be listening and sort of not quite sure where to start with return from return? Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, it is extraordinary how the government guidance has tended to be updated uh, weekly, lasting on a Friday night. Uh, just to keep us all on our toes. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's been a fast-moving situation. Uh, you know, we've all, advisors, employment lawyers, have all had to obviously keep up to date, uh, and we've tried to keep our advice pages uh, as up-to-date as we can as well, uh, and, and to try and deal with some of the uncertainties as well, uh, you know, while we try and uh, get further advice and, and fill in those, those gaps in understanding. So I think really there's four key areas there's um there's the the guidance the government guidance that's being put out covering you know some of those terms that we would never have used before like uh, self-isolation social distancing shielding you know what what do these terms mean and it's very important to to be very clear about um you know which category you fall into because particularly in terms of rights at work that that determines very much what your rights may be. So, so I think a key area of our advice pages has, has been setting out what government guidance exists during the pandemic uh, and what it means. And particularly, obviously, the guidance around social distancing and what that means for those classed as vulnerable, because that includes pregnant women and anyone with underlying health conditions. Uh, then the second major area is health and safety rights at work during the pandemic so that pregnant women are not sent home on sick pay or unpaid leave or forced to take their maternity leave early um, but we've, we've tried to direct them to um, uh, advice and links to government advice on what their health and safety rights are these existed uh, you know for the last 20 years so well before this pandemic um, but there's very low levels of awareness. So we've um, got quite a large uh, section of the advice covers those rights to health and safety protection during pregnancy, and also resources like model letters to help women to write to their employer to set out what they're entitled to, to and to try and help guide the employer as to how they, they should be managing in what is obviously a difficult uh, time for them as well. Uh, I think the third key area is has been around um, furlough, the furlough scheme for employed workers and the self-employed income support scheme for self-employed um, women and the many questions that have come up around um, uh, access to furlough, as we've just mentioned, how much should your furlough pay be? Uh, if you've been on, if you've taken maternity leave in the last year, uh, and this is a key area for self-employed women, it's based on uh, the self-employed grant is based on the average earnings in the last three years, and what if they took maternity leave uh, in one of those years and had significantly reduced earnings? 
Um, it's, it's all these, these, you know, these little areas that have such a huge impact on the support available to new parents that just haven't been thought through by government. And, and another key area around furlough is that many in the public sector uh, have not been able to access furlough. So, for instance, if you think about those working in nursery schools and care homes, where part of their income is likely to be publicly funded and part of it is privately funded. Um, but those employers have really struggled to understand whether they can access the furlough scheme. And so in many cases, those workers who, who are predominantly women um, have been forced onto statutory sick pay or unpaid leave because they've been refused access to furlough. And, and then the, I think the fourth and final area is the difficulties parents have had in juggling work and childcare. So there may be issues if those parents can't access the furlough scheme, how are they going to work from home? Or how are they going to return to work if their workplace is opening up when their children are still at home? Or parents, uh, grandparents can't, can't help with childcare. And um, they've got very few rights, actually, parents at the moment except unpaid leave. So it's options like taking unpaid parental leave, using up your annual leave. There's a protection against detrimental treatment if you've taken, if you've been forced to take emergency time off for childcare reasons. It's not clear how long that normally that would just be to sort out the immediate emergency. But of course, this is quite an ongoing extended emergency. So it's unclear how far the, the law would protect parents in those circumstances. And it doesn't help those parents because it's still unpaid leave. And if you've used up all of your annual leave and suddenly we've got a six weeks summer holiday uh, coming up, how do parents start to cover that? You know, we're used to saving up our annual leave to cover those extended school holidays. Um, so that, I think that's the, the fourth key area um, that we've tried to draw together information on existing rights and how those rights apply during the pandemic and in, in the difficult circumstances we all find ourselves in. Yeah, and that's before you open the can of worms of two day a week return and staggered school shifts. Um, yes. So in some of those situations you're describing, rights being things that maybe employers aren't as aware of or that they're ignoring or variations on not great practice. Um, what should pregnant women or new parents do um, if they believe they're being discriminated against or their rights aren't being upheld? Yes, so it's difficult because obviously to enforce your rights, you need to go to an employment tribunal in most cases. And that means having access to legal advice and representation because it's these areas of law are, are complex. Um, in theory, you can represent yourself, but it's it's unrealistic really. And if you want any any chance of success, you need to be represented. There's also very strict time limits of three months less one day from the, the date of the action you're complaining about. You know, if you've just had a baby um, or, or you're looking after a, a very young child, you know, that, that's, that's very difficult to, to meet those sorts of time limits. Um, 
time limits can be extended in certain circumstances, but actually it's quite rare for that to happen. And you need to start the ACAS process of early conciliation before then. And, and in our experience, most pregnant women and new parents want to resolve it. They, they don't want to have to take it to tribunal. So our aim is always to support women and new parents to get information for their employer, first of all, because this is a, a complex and a specialised uh, specialist area of employment law. So they need to get the information for their employer, talk to their employer, keep it amicable, you know, and, and try to resolve it. And so a lot of our advice is, is about coaching them and helping them to talk it through with their employer so that they, they have constructive conversations um, because that's more likely to help them resolve it than, than sort of rushing into a grievance process or threatening to go to ACAS. But of course, you know, it, employment relationships break down and sometimes that there's no option but to, to go down that route. And so I think the important thing is um, that anyone in that situation needs to bear in mind there's time limits, they need to get um, legal advice as soon as possible. Some will be able to access legal aid if it's a discrimination claim, uh, but otherwise there's no legal aid for employment disputes. And um, that's one, you know, this is one of the key reasons why maternity action provides a free legal advice line. Um, and we, we, our advice covers uh, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and, uh, and England as well, because access to free legal advice is, is absolutely essential uh, for parent, pregnant women and new parents to be able to, to try and access and enforce their rights. Um, so we've touched a few times um, in this interview on the fact that women are generally more likely to take on unpaid care responsibilities than men of varying sorts um, and indeed paid care roles and that we're already seeing higher rates of redundancy and reduction in income during COVID-19 for women. Um, in light of those comments and the impact on women's working rights, gender pay gap, um, what do you think needs to change to prevent the widening of that pay gap? pay gap and um, reduction of women's rights with the ensuing impact on both them and their families and the people for whom they care. Mm, yeah, we're, we're very worried uh, um, that the response to the pandemic will result in a widening of the gender pay gap. We urgently need stronger legal protection against redundancy um, and that needs to cover pregnancy, maternity leave and for at least six months after the leave because that's one of the the key times when women get pushed out of the workplace. So the current right is only to be offered a suitable alternative vacancy if one exists and what maternity action has proposed for some time is that there should be a stronger ban on redundancy during pregnancy, maternity leave and for six months after the leave because redundancy is being used as an excuse to push women out of the workplace following their return from maternity leave. It, it's seen as a, a, you know, a lawful way to dismiss somebody. And so we've been report, uh, supporting Maria Miller uh, MP's redundancy bill, which had its first reading last week, in fact, um, and it proposes this type of stronger ban uh, obviously, there will be exceptions where employers are closing down completely or the, the part of their, the, the workplace uh, where the woman is employed, if that's closing, 
that would be an exceptional circumstances where the ban wouldn't apply, but it would be much stronger and actually much more straightforward um, protection for employers uh, to understand. And, and we think the next stage now that Maria Miller has introduced the bill as a private member's bill is that the government really needs to adopt the bill so that women can swiftly get the legal protection that, that they need. And I think one of the other key areas that, that's going to be really important um, to, to help you know, prevent this, this impact on women's rights is that we need to reshape the maternity and parental leave system. At the moment, we have this very, very long period of maternity leave and actually a very short period, um, only two weeks paternity leave, and this very messy um, scheme of shared parental leave where you, know, you can only... Uh, fathers and partners only have rights to extended leave if the mother gives up some of her maternity leave and pay and transfers it to the partner. And take up of shared parental leave has, has been very, very low. I mean, well under 10%. Um, it's been in place since 2015. It's not worked. Um, and we, we need to have what Maternity Action is proposing. It's a much more straightforward system of six months guaranteed protected maternity leave, and then an independent right to six months parental leave for each parent. And it's a use it or lose it provision. And, and evidence from other countries has shown that that's the, the only um, sort of scheme that really encourages and improves take up by by fathers and partners and and so i, th I think that we urgently need uh, a, a, ref a reform of the maternity and parental leave scheme in order to, to balance out the rights uh, and and that you know that in itself will have a, an impact in making sure that you know all of the impact of this doesn't fall on to, to women. So we've got more equal uh, rights for time off for caring. Certainly, that sounds significantly simpler than the spreadsheet. I'm currently trying to jump through myself on that front. So uh, that sounds yes. eminently sensible. Um, although that's probably more personal than I should put in an interview. Um, can we can you speak a bit about the differences in reportage of pregnant women and new parents experiences during COVID-19 that you've encountered in terms of protected characteristics? So you mentioned discrimination cases um, uh, in, in one of your previous answers, but I'm thinking particularly of disabled people, people living with long term conditions, people from black or ethnic minority groups. What would you be your recommendations regarding tracking information of those people's experiences? Yes, yeah, so health and safety protection, um, which gives the right to be offered suitable alternative work if your workplace can't be made safe, or um, for pregnant women to be given a maternity suspension where they're sent home on full pay to protect their income if their workplace isn't safe. Those key rights only apply to employees. So, um, so for workers um, on perhaps zero hours contract, uh, more insecure workers don't have that protection. And so we need to have an extension um, of some of the, the key employment rights uh, and maternity and parental rights to be extended to all workers, not just those with employee status. And many uh, BAME women are working on insecure contracts, particularly in health and social care. So they don't have access to this health and safety 
protection. They don't have access, as we've mentioned, to the furlough scheme. And they're more likely to have been forced to take sick leave or unpaid leave and to have lost maternity pay as a result. And this in turn affects the benefits that they can claim as well. So I, I think one of the, the, the key areas uh, where we, we really need um, uh, better data is to track the use of precarious contracts in the public sector, especially in health and social care, um, by gender, ethnicity, um, age uh, and, and disability. And I, I, you know, I think that's that's really vital um, to look at the uh, the use of contracts um, and you know which areas of, who in the community is being forced onto these contracts and losing employment rights as a result. Yeah, thank you for that. That's, um, I guess the flip side of that, and referring back to some of the. Uh, conversations we were having about flexible working at the very beginning of this interview is do you think there are any potential opportunities that are being highlighted during this pandemic that could be built on in terms of maternity and parental rights and what would you like to see done at national or local level to um, see that happen? Mm, yeah so we've touched on um, flexible working and we've all seen the potential for home working and zoom meetings <laughs> Uh, and, and flexibility and you would hope that this this should lead to employers being more willing to allow part-time work home working and you know a willingness to embrace flexibility and an end to presenteeism but uh, you know unfortunately as we've said there are still many signs that that many just want to return to business as usual um, so I, I think that's a particularly an area we need to keep our eye on um, I think it's also thrown up the, the need for more support for low-income families. You know, there have clearly been areas where the government's been able to act really fast to, to correct certain issues. And so that indicates that, you know, they could move equally fast to correct some long-standing problems. And, and to give you an example, um, the government made a very quick amendment to exclude furlough pay, so those that have been put on to 80% of their normal pay, from the assessment of, of their earnings when calculating their maternity pay. So it shows it's possible. You can make a quick amendment to the SMP regulations to say the employer must use a woman's normal earnings, not her 80% furlough pay. Now we've campaigned for years to say there's a long-standing problem in that women who happen to be on statutory sick pay of only £95 a week in the middle of their pregnancy can lose out on all of their statutory maternity pay because um, that happens to fall during the period in which their earnings are calculated uh, for their entitlement to maternity pay. And so, uh, you know, we're using this as an opportunity to, to say you need to, you know, correct this problem it's easily done it's been done for furlough pay let's now do it to ensure that women don't lose out on their maternity pay because they happen to be off sick and on statutory sick pay in the middle of their pregnancy and i think that the the pandemic's also highlighted the low level of benefits and the the support and the problems with well, the lack of support and the, and the, the problems in accessing universal credit so with more women being pushed on to maternity allowance, um, 
that is deducted from universal credit. It's not treated as, as earnings like statutory maternity pay is and disregarded. Um, that means that women on maternity allowance who are those already with the, the lowest income who can't access benefits like statutory maternity pay, they get that deducted pound for pound from their universal credit. They lose uh, over 5,000 pounds over the course of their nine month maternity pay period. And some uh, will lose out on their universal credit completely, which means they uh, lose passported benefits such as the, the Best Start grant, um, which is a, a grant for women to buy things for, for a first baby. Now, I mean, I think there's been huge improvements in Scotland uh, in, so in support on, in the social security system for early years benefits. And the Best Start grant has been a huge improvement on the Short Start Maternity grant uh, that's available uh, in the rest of the UK. But women on universal credit are still being penalised when claiming maternity allowance. And that means they can lose out on these particularly targeted benefits. Uh, so, you know, these are really key issues that have um, long-standing problems, uh, but they've, it, the importance of them and of addressing them has, has really been made, made clear during the pandemic. So we're hope, hoping to build on the pressure around that now. Plenty of work to do from the sound of it, yeah. um, which I guess feeds into my final question, may have already answered it, which is what activity do you have planned as an organisation as new systems are being established going forward out of the pandemic? Um, what's, what's, what's top of your hit list? Um, we've probably got, I, I think our key, the, the key areas would be some of those we've mentioned, the the ban on redundancy during pregnancy, maternity leave, and for six months after, better enforcement of health and safety in the workplace. You know, if nothing else, a global health crisis has shown us the importance of healthy workplaces. Uh, you know, it's no, no longer dismissed as red tape. Uh, that, that's progress. Uh, better support through universal credit for low-income families, as we've just mentioned. And I think the other key one on our hit list is, is we have to end the no recourse to public funds rules, which force um, families with leave to remain in the UK, who have the right to work here. Um, but if their workplace closes because of a pandemic, they've been forced into poverty and destitution. So I would say those four top of our list. No small aims. Um, yeah, thank you very much for your time and for giving that detail. Um, I should close by sort of giving the saying that this podcast is reported, recorded on the 14th of July 2020 and all of the information within it is correct at time of recording to the best of our knowledge. Um, and yeah, just thanks very much to Katie for joining us and, and thanks to people for listening. Um, you can find the Alliance Live podcast on all major podcast streaming services, including Spotify, Apple products and more. Um, and we also produce webinars, video interviews and case studies. You can find these at www.alliance-scotland.org.uk forward slash live. And to follow along with the Alliance Live content, please use hashtag Alliance Live on Twitter. Um, do you also want me to highlight the maternity actions Twitter? Yes, that would be great. Yeah. Um, so the frequently asked questions section of the website is available um, and at maternity action for regular updates therein. 
um yeah thank you very much katie really appreciate your time not at all yeah no thank you